0: hi everyone francisco here just before we get started i wanted to share something i'm really excited about i recently launched the story powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find craft and tell stories that work but it's not just an online course because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities in three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers podcast, the show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is Dan Knowlton. Dan is the co-founder of Knowlton, a video and social media marketing agency that is bridging the gap between driving trackable results for brands and producing social media content audiences queue up to see. He's also an international keynote speaker and co-host of the Business Anchors podcast. Now, I admit I can be a bit weird sometimes, but I've got nothing on Dan. He's building a massively successful business by wearing ugly wigs, putting on silly voices, and talking about vermin. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, Dan Dalton. That is the best intro I've ever had. That is amazing, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Then (laughs) This is already, I know this is going to be good based on that intro. This is brilliant. Hi, glad to be here. Just this morning on
0: social media, I was giving you a bit of grief on your haircut, which I, I said. Seems slightly, you know, Mark zuckerberg um, But I realized that that might be because I'm harboring some resentment towards you and your brother, Lloyd. And this is two reasons. The first one is that you share the video of a guy <laughs> making fun of podcasters who keeps adjusting yeah. the boom arm nonstop. And uh, as you can see on the video, <laughs> yeah. the audience can't. I have a boom arm. And now I'm super self-conscious I'm about moving that thing, this thing. And the other thing is, every time you talk about your speaking on your podcast, your brother says, international keynote speaker, Dan Nolton. And I have to say keynote speaker, international keynote speaker all the time. And I'm talking about the stuff I do. And now, again, super self-conscious
1: about it. Don't worry. I mean, I'm used to working with my brother. It's constantly him taking the piss out of me. So, yeah, I'm used to it. Is is that
0: what you meant when you said in, in a different podcast that you and him are classic brothers?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think like the interesting thing is, you know, growing up together, I don't know if you've got any siblings. Have you got any siblings? I've got, I've, I've got more than I can count. Okay. So yeah. So, you know, like you're constantly sort of poking fun at each other and that kind of thing. We're literally grown adults and we've just continued to do that through running our business. So yeah. And on our podcast as well. It's not a bad uh, strategy, I think. I, I've subscribed
0: to the view that um, the growing up is just learning that you shouldn't pick your nose in public, essentially. You know, apart from that, it's just, I can't do this in front of people, but that's essentially
1: it. <laughs> yeah. I think that one of the best parts is just the amount we laugh whilst working together. That just makes this whole process of running a business so much more enjoyable when you just constantly, he he knows how to whisper one thing in my ear that will make me laugh for 10 minutes. It's just, once you grow up with someone, it's, yeah, it's good.
0: Yeah, no, I I recognize that. My my brother is a, a director for advertising movies. I, I don't think we could work together. Uh, we we have a very good relationship now. It's been a long time since it's chased me around the house with a kitchen knife, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but but yeah, I think I think I'm quite happy having different professions. I don't think uh, I think we drive each other up the wall too much, and no work could get done. Yeah, I get that. On your podcast, one of the things you guys do all the time is you share. Professional and business stories. Now, how much of that is planned? So as you go into the episode, you have like, okay,
1: I'm going to share this story or that story, or does that just come naturally in the way you guys communicate to each other? That's a really good question. So, um, analyzing it, I'd say it's 30 thirty. Seventy percent planned, thirty percent just happens because we've spoken about other things. Maybe even sixty forty. But we we to prep for the podcast, um, we do agree. what we're going to be talking about but then we each go away ourselves and create bullet points of things that we think will be interesting to talk about we don't always talk about all of it but definitely yeah so it's about 60 or 70 percent planning and then just naturally through talking about things I always get excited I'm like oh remember this story from our childhood or this time in business when this happened and I find that there the the 30 or 40 percent that we don't prepare for are always come across the best because we both get excited to tell the story, and I think people like to see that kind of—hate to say—but authentic, you know, storytelling come across.
0: Well, I, I love, I love that you use that word because I hate that word. <laughs> well, yes, you say that, but uh, and I actually, when I was researching the podcast, I came up, about, up with that a lot—the fact that you hated. You mentioned it on the podcast, and, and I thought that I would tell you that I was going to name the podcast. Be authentic, be authentic to 10x everything with Ben Nelson yes oh. <laughs> but when I was listening to one of your older interviews, this was 2017 you gave a straight faced answer that the, the secret to your your social media success was that you were authentic and I thought, okay, say that you hated say that you're hated, say that you're hated and you just went on about how being authentic was great
1: <laughs> wow Oh no! I literally, I I don't ever listen to, you know, con- like stuff that I did years ago because I'm sure I'd constantly contradict myself, and it's just cringe makes you cringe. Doesn't it? listen to yourself, things you were saying. But hey, well, you know,
0: it's. Uh, I think we can all be we can if if we go back long enough, we've all said plenty of things that we that we regret.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: One of the stories you shared on the podcast was about because you guys are talking about your 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 keynote speaking and there was a story about a guy this was eastern europe i think and there was something
1: to do with porn <laughs> so what what is that story again <laughs> oh wow you're gonna make me tell this story okay i'll tell the shortened version so i this was one of my first international speaking engagements in bulgaria and I uh, I basically went and stayed in Bul- uh, in Bulgaria for a few days and did this three-day event. And um, after, the, after you talk, people come up to the stage and you, I'm sure you know this, like want to ask questions about what you've talked about. And one of them was asking a question and I said, oh, let me show you this on my phone. And I clicked the internet, me and him were staring at the screen and it was just porn, <laughs> which was the most cringy thing that's ever happened. But... It's a good story to tell. (laughs) I I think I can top that a bit. (laughs) Oh, please do. I I lived
0: with my father for maybe a year, because my father and my mom and my dad are are divorced. So I lived with my dad when I was, I think, 17 or something. And he traveled a lot. Like, he was almost never there. And one day I realized that I could watch porn. So I called the cable company. I pretended to be him. And I authorized the the porn channel. (laughs) and uh you know and and i had a blast and no studying got done for for a long time Uh, and i only got caught because uh my two of my many brothers would come and stay with my dad for for the weekend sometimes and one day he i think he was recording a disney movie for them or something like that they were much younger than me and then i got home and he was irate and i was like what's happened it was like i'm watching the the kids are watching this movie and they come to me and say dad what is it and there's like 30 seconds of porn ah and then flips back to the movie because surely i went in and i was just browsing and i was like oh i want to watch some porn now maybe no this is not good (laughs) oh (laughs) no!
1: yeah so yeah it wasn't good no Lloyd actually did a, um, a commercial drone license course across a week at this place. And there was like, it was like 50 year old men mainly. And the course teacher he had the same thing where he got his laptop up, connected it in and wasn't looking. And, and in, in his browser history, it just had all the titles of the videos he was watching. And oh. <laughs> imagine that happening to you, like doing a presentation and people seeing that.
0: I mean I, I don't know if what's worse is that people realize it's porn or that or what kind of porn it might be. Because like, it might just be, you know, you know, hot standard. <laughs> oh, yeah, standard porn, but it could be some really weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think I think we talked enough about porn. Oh wow. Yeah. So one of the things you you guys talked about when you come to your speaking is you, you said that I think in the beginning you were pretty crap at it that you didn't even couldn't breathe properly or something yes and one thing you said is that you it only started turning around for you when you started telling stories on stage so what types of stories did you start talking about on stage clearly not the ones we just shared
1: yeah no good good point the the first kind of stories that i really noticed is different was talking about uh, my journey, rather than I remember starting out, used to have a slide. Who am I? I run this company. This is my job title, and like just such rubbish. Whereas, I'm trying to think that the exact event actually, it was an event in Ireland called the so called Social Media Marketing Summit Ireland, and I was talking about Snapchat when Snapchat was a thing. Just talking about uh, the, the the journey I'd gone on from being in a job. And, and learning locks and going to university. And then in my job, I just hated my life. And I, I broke down in this job interview. And, and I think it was, it was sharing an emotive story and on stage, I literally said, yeah, I had this phone interview that I thought was going to get me out of this horrible job. And then I mucked it up and I broke down and cried and rang my mum and dad. And like sharing that vulnerability of like, and this wasn't strategic by me. It just happened because I thought I'd tell the story. Sharing that, you could tell everyone was sort of drawn in and listening to me because I was like, I cried and I was upset. And everyone, you know, you can kind of relate to somebody if they're being vulnerable and sharing that emotion. So that was, that was it.
0: Do you still share that i've heard that story right so i know it's the one about uh, you know how you were working very long hours and then you really screwed up the interview after like three questions you just hang up and started crying we've all done that just the other day um <laughs> but now so you've
1: done this for a while now uh, so what types of stories do you tell now when you're on stage um, looking back to my last big speaking engagement, I mean, they've all completely stopped pretty much because of COVID. But um, the good old days when I was speaking last year before COVID, I'd, I spoke at an event called Digitalium, which is in Romania. It was a really, really cool event. Mark Zuckerberg's sister was speaking there and I got to have dinner with her and stuff. That's my claim to fame. One of the stories I spoke about was about um, my, at the time, my fiance was pregnant and I was—I told a story. I don't know if you've watched this because you've done loads of research. You might not have seen this story, but I, at the time, I remember I was researching like how to be a good dad, and 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 that story of me like showing I was nervous and what happens if the baby does this and the baby does that. I, I talked about that and I showed a picture of my pregnant fiance, and then I I tied that to the remarketing ads that I was seeing and how clever those remarketing ads were and how they made me buy, um, and some of the, the really um, creative content that I was retargeted by with this, this dad that had, um, I don't know if you've seen, but like a front strap where you strap a baby to the front of you. There was a really clever video where it was a dad dancing with the baby and that video.
0: I haven't seen that video, but I think I have, I have scars on my chest from having worn that
1: thing for about five hours a day for the last, uh, <laughs> for the last four years or something exactly you know and that that story tied into me buying something because of what i was searching for based on a need i had and then being retargeted with clever content I, That that's another type of story
0: yeah because that that to me makes complete sense and this is the one thing that when i'm talking to people about using stories in any type of presentation or when i'm thinking about what stories i can use when i speak there is always that danger of well the story is great i'm just going to get it in there people laugh but it has nothing to do with my content like i'm just telling it because because right because i want them to like me
1: yeah i think that now planning talks I, i always try and do the latter that you just spoke about of making it strategic. Like, cause I know that stories work and it makes people listen. How can I tie a story into what I'm actually talking about? That's, that's going to make this interesting. And we, and we do this a lot in the podcast as well, business anchors podcast. When we're talking about, let's say sales as a topic, we'll talk about the time that we went to a pitch that we didn't realize was a pitch because we were so naive and didn't know what we were doing. And that, that like taps into the lesson of, you know, making sure you're fully prepared and know what the expectations are, managing expectations. So everything now is tries to tie in, but I'm certainly guilty of just telling random stupid stories because I thought that was cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's difficult sometimes when you have a really good one, but it's, you can do it both ways, right? You can say, okay, well, I want to talk about preparation. When was I not prepared at all? And that that you can always get the so so this is what I'm gonna talk about find a story professionally or personally where that didn't happen at all or when I learned that that thing is important but you can also do the opposite right you get the cool story I mean I'm sure you can get the the porn story we talked about and find a lesson in there somewhere maybe it's a preparation lesson maybe it's you know how professional you come across or whatever. Perhaps an extreme example of that type of thing, but you—if you have a really cool story, sometimes I have them, and I'm like, oh, but what is does? What does it mean?"
1: <laughs> it doesn't always work, but yeah, I think you also uh, once you do an, quite a few speak engagements, I'm sure you found this you try and test different stories and you find some of the ones that you think are the best stories ever don't get a great response. And then others that also something else I found in Eastern Europe, because I've done quite a lot of speaking in Eastern Europe is um, the, the way like the cultures are different. So some people are very stern and something that if i was speaking to like a british audience and i'd be using slang and like oh i remember at school when this happened you have to you know i have to now try and think what all this audience and culture understand because i've totally said jokes that not jokes but like stories that i land with a uk audience and then they just don't get so it's it's trying to really get that culture as well that cultural fit 100 i agree and,
0: and there are certain things i think both of us do which is self-deprecating humor that you know, if we ever speak in asia that's not gonna work uh, you're not not supposed to crap on yourself in front of particularly like a japanese audience They they won't see that as a good thing they won't see that as vulnerability they'll see that as so you're a moron then why should we trust you but i think this is an interesting lead into how you guys handle your own marketing not the stuff you do for your clients but for yourself and for anyone who hasn't watched this i very strongly recommend they do there's plenty of these videos on on linkedin i might put some on the show notes but i came across you i think the same way a lot of people did is when you started with the wigs when did you think okay
1: i know how we're gonna market ourselves wigs? it's one of those things that naturally sort of came about so up until we started six years ago and we tried producing loads of different content. Some of it worked slightly, but not really. It took us ages to figure out what we can do that's going to get traction. In 2017, we tried this new concept. We basically wanted to share testimonials, our client testimonials. We went and shot a video of them saying nice things about us. But we knew that sharing a video of that is super boring. Like who wants to watch people saying, yeah, Dan and Lloyd are great from Nelson." So what we did was we we thought of a creative idea to dress up as different characters, pretending to be our own customers, that we talk like say funny things and to, to show the different characters we wore wigs. That was the first video. That went mental for us. We had like thousands of views on Facebook, which at the time for us was like viral. Thousands of views and like 50 comments. Oh my God, we've actually, you know. You made it. Yeah, we've made it. We're like, wow. And then that was really the first point of like, wow, we can actually do something a bit more creative and it works. And then we tried lots of different things. And then I think it was even like a year ago on LinkedIn, we tried something similar with characters, different wigs, playing, doing different sketches that marketing teams would relate to. And it completely landed and directly generated business. Like instantly we got messages saying, I've seen this, I wanna to talk to you about working with you. And that then it's kind of spiraled from there. But the, the problem is what happened after that was everyone that sees our content just thinks we make stupid videos with wigs. So when we've got big credible brands that that potentially could work with us that aren't funny and entertaining, they think they can't work with us because we just produce funny videos, which isn't true. <laughs>
0: I guess that's that's one of those problems that if you haven't completely solved already, you should be able to solve very quickly. Because once you have a few case studies, then you say, yeah, this is what we do to market ourselves. So you get a feel for how working with us is and how creative we are. This is not the work we do for our clients. Uh, although, how funny would it be if a big client comes to you and you come back to them and say, okay, so we have this idea. Lloyd and I are going to wear some wigs, and we're going to do the
1: same thing we normally do, but your product's going to be on the table. I'll tell you what's interesting. This month, we literally converted a fairly small client. It's not like a big company, a recruitment company that we're doing that for, that that came to us and said, we want uh, us to be in it, but we want you and Lloyd to play characters in it. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. So, but we had, we did have a whole strategy around getting properly communicating that we don't just make stupid, funny videos. And it's really worked because there's been a whole creative strategy we've had to do that. So this is something that I I don't actually
0: think is that, I mean, is this a real problem or is this a problem you thought you
1: might have? Okay. I'll give you evidence as to why it was an actual problem. So I, uh, a, a guy I know through business networks where I am locally for the last few years, uh, gives me a phone call around like, let's so, say a year ago. And he says, I was speaking to the founder of um, this big business park. And he was saying, I was saying to him, you've got to see what Nolton are doing. They're local to you. You should work with them to create videos and stuff. And this big, high profile, big cheese guy who's like, uh, is, yeah got a lot of credibility and influence says to him, I've seen what they do. I'm connected with them on, on LinkedIn, but um, we're not funny. So we wouldn't work with them that he called me and told me this and that was the first moment I thought I looked back at all of our LinkedIn content and I was like wow we do actually come across that we're you know getting great traction and stuff with some people but we can do a lot more than just producing funny content that drives sales so yeah so then that was the evidence that we needed to then maybe I thought it was a bigger problem than it was but
0: yeah, because I I say that because there's some other people on LinkedIn that have very particular personal brands. So I'm thinking of of, of a guy I had on the podcast before, uh, Alex B Sheridan, and he's in many of his videos, he's 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 playing characters, he's rapping. You know, it's the type of thing you wouldn't think is necessarily very corporate. Uh, but you know, speaking to him, he says it's very clear to the people that he speaks to he says no this is just me um this is how i express myself creatively that's not how you would do it like it says that i don't teach my clients to rap so they can imitate exactly what i'm doing they just this is you know this is my thing your thing might be completely different but the other side of that is looking at some of the case studies you've done they're perhaps not as weird from a sense of uh, sense of humor point of view than some of the stuff you guys do on LinkedIn. But having said that, I mean, they're still funny or they're still like whimsical. So that's the thing that you guys do more naturally. Uh,
1: and some clients won't like that, but there's plenty of clients who will. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. A lot of the, the best case studies we share with the world are the ones that allow us to have creative freedom because we know through our own experience, entertaining content um, gets people to watch it. And when people watch something that's created in a way to drive a sale and you can keep them watching, you know, that's a great piece of marketing collateral. So so the, the, the companies that allow us to have creative... I mean, sometimes we do pitch really out their ideas. Like uh, the recent client, we've we've just started um, the campaigns launched by whole foods online. Um, it's like a whole foods company and the, the campaign's killing it now, but I remember the, what we, the, the concepts we pitched, they're basically a very ethical green company. And we pitched ideas like punching dolphins in heads on the video to, to like, as, as a kind of, this is what we're not like. And obviously like looking back, it was quite out there. We eventually got to concepts that are in line with their brand a lot more. Didn't you pitch blowing up stuff? blowing up a shed yet yeah, we wanted to blow up a shed and then they sort of said well we kind of don't want to show that we're wasting material and blowing up stuff and we're like yeah that's kind of fair enough but you still built that into the commercial right because there's a guy who keeps wanting to blow up a shed and the sort of the whole food person says no you can't blow up a shed exactly to to keep people watching but the the most excited projects i get most excited about working on are the ones where the brand is like we totally get you and what you do do whatever you want to drive the most sales and the best return investment that is like gold dust to us whereas i'd say at least 60 70 percent of the brands that approach us um especially the bigger more global brands now there's a lot of red tape around what they feel they can and can't do you know they don't want to piss people off or offend people so yeah but and we still produce you know emotive campaigns that drive that in a more formal less funny way but yeah, I just love working on the stuff where we can just do crazy shit that's really fun to talk about and drives really good results. Just to sort of wrap up the, the part about the
0: way you guys promote yourselves. Do you notice a difference when you just made up some stories to, so you can act uh, against each other or when you're actually just playing a, a real situation, but you know, in a funnier way, do you notice any real difference there? Because the testimonial stuff to, to me seems to be a very good example of using like a real thing, but in a funny way
1: or they're just inventing stuff. Do you mean um, with our own content in terms of some things like a sketch we just make up and other things are like, here's a case study? Yeah, with your own content. So, so yeah, the, the difference is the, the sketch stuff where we're producing funny content is great awareness content, drives way more views, way more engagement, way more people saying, wow, I love this. This is amazing. The more serious content, which is like middle of funnel consideration content, case studies, showing results, that drive, you know, way less people are like, oh, this is amazing. But- they're the pieces of content that we get messages saying, I've seen these results, I want to set up a call. Like just from posting the results of this campaign we're doing in January, I've got today, I've got like four calls booked in with companies who are like, wow, those results are insane. We've seen what you're doing. Let's let's have a call. So it, it, we need a mixture of all of them because the cool creative fun made up stuff draws the audience in. And then once they, they like us or they've seen what we're doing, then we can reinforce that trust with we're actually good at getting a trackable return on investment.
0: All right, so I've seen you talk about this before. So you talked about the funnel and what types of stories work for different parts of the funnel. So so if I'm getting you the first thing you just said now is all the the crazy nonsensical stuff is the first part of the funnel. It's just awareness. Okay, well, these guys exist, I can see what they're doing. That's what you use that sort of stuff for, right? That's one example of awareness.
1: But yeah. What would be another? Educational content. The first four years of us starting, we didn't produce any funny content. It was purely here's something we've learned to do with growing a social audience on the growing audience on Twitter. You know, using this tool to schedule stuff. We'd learn something, then create a tutorial. That was the kind of top of funnel stuff to draw people in, teaching them how to do something that we've got evidence generates a tangible result. Other things are so educational, entertaining. Stuff to talking about our story and our journey. You know, we started from here, this is where we are now. We tend to do less of that, but that I'd class that as kind of mainly top of funnel content. So yeah, they're kind of the three main main types of content.
0: Okay. And then the the middle of the funnel stuff would be what
1: exactly? Would be anything if you think about um Uh, when people are buying into you, what are all the questions they need answering? What are all the things they need to see to know that you're the best solution to their problem and they can trust you to deliver on your promises? So for example, case studies showing the results you've achieved, talking about credible brands you've worked with, awards, accreditations, things that demonstrate that you're, um, you invest a lot in the work you do. So like showing all of the great equipment we've invested tens of thousands of pounds into produce content for our clients. So they know, oh, they're not just turning up with a smartphone and trying to shoot our content. Objection overcoming content. So for example, oh, are Knowlton too expensive to work with? Are we the right company for Knowlton? All of these questions, we create content to say, hey, if you're X, Y, Z type of company, we're ideal for you. You know, it's those kind of things. Okay. And then is there a third part to that funnel? The third part is the kind of, the, we call it the purchase stage, which is you've made someone aware of you. They trust you. You've overcome all their objections, but that's not good enough. There's plenty of people that, that know us and trust us, but they haven't got in touch with us. So it's doing all the things we need to do to nudge them to get in touch with us. So having consistent call to actions across everything we do, you know, on our website, making it easy for people to get in touch with us, being prompt when they follow up with us, having an effective sales process and a way of managing that sales process. We use HubSpot sales and CRM system so yeah, those kind of things.
0: So, so we talked about one of the things that I wanted to cover, but there's a few questions I still want to ask about this challenge with tone, right? Because so I watched the commercials, I watched the Whole Foods commercials, and I watched the, the Wall commercials, which I think are the and the case studies you have up on the website. What I find challenging to understand is, so a company has watched all this stuff you've done. You presume they watch some of the stuff you've done when they're approaching you. How much of a conversation, do you have to start a conversation about, okay, well, do you see what we normally like? Is that what you're looking for? And if the answer is no, I mean, are they just working on the basis that, okay, these guys are good. Surely they can, they have a completely different gear than the stuff that I'm normally seeing.
1: Yeah. Good question. So we do share other things that aren't just our best, most exciting, fun, entertaining content that shows that we produce more corporate content. Um, so some some of them see that as a point to know, oh, they do do other stuff. And we talk about that. Um, but the main pr- uh, part of the sales process where we, we're gathering this information is when we set up that discovery call and, we, and we we're asking the questions of, you know, what are you trying to achieve? What are you looking for? What, how would you define your brand? What's your tone of voice? And we ask those questions. And if they're saying we're a very serious brand, you know, there's lots of red tape, need to be very corporate – I'm taking this all in as part of the sales process and I'm saying, great, you know, we've done serious stuff with this kind of brand. So we've done that. Great. This is interesting. Then we'll go away and develop a pitch that's based on the information they've provided. So it's asking those right questions at the start of the sales process to really gauge that. And, and when we started out doing this, I was rubbish at this. It's taking a lot of failed attempts at this to get to where we are now. And I've still got a long way to go. So it's constantly trying to fine tune and get better.
0: Now, when it comes to the the ad work you guys are doing for clients, I've seen you talk about emotion and the and the, and the role of emotion in, in in advertising, and you quoted or you mentioned the Christmas commercials that are massive. they're massive in many countries. In Brazil, for example, they're very big, but but in the UK, they're they're a very long standing institution, right? Yeah, I remember I remember a few from when I I was there for five years
1: but those are very different types of commercials right yeah the the way i like to think of it is like the super bowl commercial the uh, the christmas ad have you seen like the john lewis ad the sainsbury's ad yeah it, it, so in brazil do they not have this whole thing around christmas commercials we do so what what happens is what what i'm
0: thinking of is there's is one major supermarket brand in the south of Brazil called Zafari and they, let's think of them as John Lewis, and every single year there is the Zafari Christmas commercial and it's, and it's very similar in style, it's something that has nothing to do with the brand, like it's nothing to do with the supermarket we know it's a Zafari commercial and then it's a story it's, it's always a sort of emotional stuff to you know, get the, the feel good factor about the brand higher and 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 I've seen plenty of those internationally. I actually shared one on social media not long ago, where it's this grandfather, and he, he he looks at a picture. You don't know what the picture is of, of whom. And then he he goes into his shed, and it's a mess. And then you've seen it one, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, he's doing with the with kettlebell. So he's training with a kettlebell. And at the end of the day, it's his training so he can lift his granddaughter to put the star on the Christmas tree. And then my question would be, why could you not make most commercials like that, where there's no brand, nothing specific about the brand is more like, okay, I love this brand and what, they, what I feel like when I think about them. Why can
1: that not be what people do a lot? I'll tell you why. Because you're, you're never going to nudge Um, someone who's thinking oh this is nice to buying a specific product or taking a specific action you know uh, to get someone to actually take action buy a product they need to understand the brand they need to see the brand so this type of christmas ad is incredible because you know these these companies have created a category of advert that people actually get excited to watch And that's a completely crazy concept when you think of like traditional TV ads, disruptive advertising, like, oh, another pop-up ad. Oh, there's a TV ad. Let's skip this. Now they've created a category of advert where people literally schedule time to see, oh, the John Lewis ad is live. I've got to see that. How crazy is that? It's like having, it's like Netflix. It's like creating something that people get excited to watch. So it's incredible in that sense. And everyone's talking about the John Lewis ad, but what, what everyone isn't talking about is, um, you know, the new microwave that's being sold through John Lewis that's going to help solve my problems. So that that category of advert has a great place in terms of building that aw- awareness, getting people talking about a brand. But that's where all the other content that, that links back to that uh, marketing funnel I mentioned is crucial to have. Because if you just had that John Lewis advert, everyone millions of people will be talking about it no one would be going to the john lewis site to buy products no one would be going to the john lewis store to buy products because they haven't their hand hasn't been held through that customer journey of realizing what problems john lewis can solve realizing you have those problems realizing they've got the best solutions to that problem and then actually taking action so you need all that other content to to make this work rather than just the amount of marketing companies i see and we used to do this saying to their customers we can help build awareness for you course you like anyone can build awareness you can shout in the street we do marketing that builds awareness but actually converting that awareness into trackable sales and roi is the challenging part the easy part is building awareness i think it's interesting
0: that you say that they've created this type of of advertising because in the one sense you're 100 right they have created this type of advertising at the same time they haven't really created anything it's just two minutes of storytelling it's just because we've gone so far from the idea of people telling stories just for the sake of telling stories you know, when's the last time that you sat next to a mate or a relative and thought oh is they uh, have the story that i want to tell you and you're like oh i love his stories i'm just gonna sit here and listen now if you organically do as a mate you don't know what happened to me yesterday you listen but this concept of oh you know my grandfather is a great storyteller every time he sits me down for a story I- i'm looking forward to it i don't know what it is it's probably just going to be entertainment. I might not learn anything, but, but I just want to listen to this. And that, I think, ties as well with what we said in the beginning, where you know, I'm not saying that your story about your interview that failed was a story that had no purpose whatsoever. That story shows you as an approachable human being. But at the same time, that story is not going to lead anyone to any type of action. Apart from you're not an asshole when i thought maybe war okay fine i covered that objection but you don't do anything after that
1: yeah i think i think that's a good point i also think and again you may have heard me say about this before but the ted talks book chris anderson's book ted talks the thing that the one massive takeaway i got from that is um that whenever you're speaking on stage or you're engaging with anyone they have their wall up they're thinking, can, will I, first of all, they're like, I'm not letting your ideas into my brain because I don't know you like you trust you. And then you have to somehow break down that wall. One of the approaches they talk about for breaking down that wall is showing vulnerability, is showing that you're you're not the, oh, I'm, I'm the best at marketing, I can help you. You're actually saying, here's how I'm not the best. And then people start to open that wall up. So I think that kind of storytelling does have a place to break down barriers to let people in, let people let you into their mind with your ideas. But I think you're even making me think now I need to be way more strategic about the stories I tell. Because previously, this has all just happened because I've just fumbled my way to to getting into to speaking and stuff. And now, now I need to think more strategically like you.
0: <laughs> if it's not broken, you know, don't fix it. But but at the same time, there's this saying, which some people disagree, and I disagree at times, which is, don't have a story without a point, and don't make a point without a story. Yeah, I like but that. When it comes to the walls you were talking about, uh, I have seen people describe this as... That, uh, that most people push information out. So you, you're giving them your opinions. you you making statements about marketing or whatever you're talking about. Whereas a story is not a push strategy. It's a pull strategy. So you tell us something that happened to you. There's no agreeing or disagreeing. You know, you might I might disagree with your conclusion about what happened to you, but you've now given me this experience and I'm going to go, yeah, I actually lived something similar to that. Okay, yeah, no, I can see how that would work you're putting it out there and it's for people to pick it up or not. It's different than saying, no, you have to do this. You have to do that.
1: Yeah. It's weird how, how crazily people respond more and to two stories. When you're speaking, like when you're just, cause I totally have just done the sharing information on stage and everyone's sort of there yawning, you know, looking at their phone. When you say, oh, this thing happened to me the other day. I've got to tell you about this. Everyone's like that on their seat, like leaning forward. Like I need to hear this. It's just, it's interesting there must be science behind something that's going on with I think in the book, actually Chris Anderson's book talks about how um, when you when you describe a situation, something to do with the brain receptors in the audience is like, uh, you kind of match up somehow. I- I'm not an expert, but he I
0: am <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's he's quoting Yuri Hassan who is a guy who did a lot of brain imagery studies, and essentially what they found is that when we start telling a story, the brain waves of the storyteller and the audience are very different to begin with, but as the story goes on, those brain waves align, and he calls that alignment or coupling. It's one of the two. So the idea is that once they're aligned, information is flowing a lot more freely, so whatever I'm trying to get across to you is getting there more easily. And a couple of episodes ago I had Paul Zack on the podcast and he's he's one of the scientists that does all the hormonal stuff about oxytocin which is the trust hormone and all of this stuff he, he essentially found out about that and he told me about the Super Bowl commercials that you and I sort of talked about on, on social media so so what that is is this so people love Super Bowl commercials they're they're a massive thing in the US and they cost an absolute fortune. So what he wanted to find out is he he developed a ranking criteria to judge if a story was, was good or not. And he wanted to check how accurate that criteria was for judging things like, do people like the story? Does it predict sales bumps for the product? So what he did was, as a comparison, he used the Super Bowl commercials. So they are ranked. I don't know who it's exactly, but someone ranks them in order of preference by, by the audience. So he got the commercials, ran them through his software and found that his criteria was completely different than what people were saying they liked. But then he did the same experiments, actually checking people's uh, neural reactions, and he found that The brain agreed with his criteria with what people had said they liked. So what you're saying you liked from a commercial you just watched is not what your brain is thinking. And that doesn't translate necessarily to anything that a company would want. It doesn't mean that you're going to sell more. And, And his theory behind that is because, you know, if you're watching a commercial that has babies in it or has puppies or whatever, right? You're going to like those commercials. They're nice. They're funny. But they don't have a, a narrative arc. There's not much tension in them. So there's not, there's not a climax of any kind. They're just nice. So that doesn't really do what a story is supposed to do. And if it doesn't do what a story is supposed to do, you don't remember it as well. And it's, it's less
1: likely to drive you to action. Wow. That's so. That's so interesting. I actually am reading a book currently called Spin, Sight, "Spin Selling," and they talk about this point of people saying the reason for for success in some area, and that being complete BS. Like they said, they studied thirty thousand sales of the top salespeople in the world who said yeah, the the art of selling is down to doing this and that. And and when they actually analyze their behavior, it was nothing to do with that. It was something that they hadn't even said. So it's so interesting that we think like we're giving advice on, yeah, this is why this is successful, but maybe it's all wrong. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of
0: confusion between cause and effect. Uh, you know why did you do that? And 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 we we tell ourselves stories about things we do all the time. And you think you know I behave this way because of this, and it might have nothing to do with that. It might be completely random. And no story is more random than the one where you you tell yourself of who you are, it's like, oh, I, oh I'm oh, i doing this now because when I was a kid, this and that happened. Maybe it's nothing to do with it, but you're just trying to find some sort of... Is it just random? Someone t- said, "Then you should go
1: into marketing. Oh, okay, I'll go into marketing then. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I think those... I've seen some speakers, though, that you can so tell that they're doing that and they're just... They've made up like, oh, when I was a kid, I once sold candy bars at school. And from that day for... It's quite, I think it's quite easy to tell a really authentic kind of story that actually happened when someone's telling it to like someone that's fabricated a story to sound good as part of a speech. I guess unless they're really good at storytelling and they've practiced it. I don't know. I don't know what you think.
0: Yes, 100% it happens. People will try to come up with the the origin story that makes perfect sense. But often it's just, often it's just nonsense and it's not needed. Some of the best stories you have, they're not about what actually happened and how impressive what happened is. They are about how you read what happened. So I've told the story before. I don't know if I told it on the podcast, but, you know, my daughter, I have a four-year-old daughter and she's obsessed with Frozen. A few weeks ago, she woke up in the middle of the night. And said she was scared or something. And she wouldn't go back to sleep. Nothing I could say to her convinced her to go back to sleep. And I reasoned with the best of my abilities. Uh, and, you know, oh, you have school tomorrow. You're going to be tired. No, then I started sort of threatening her. And then at some point I said, listen, you're not going to watch Frozen ever again if you don't go back to bed. And that that didn't get me anywhere. And then I was so tired and so frustrated that I, I broke down crying. Like I was sobbing like a child. And that got through. She was like, oh, um, don't be like That, please, I'll go back to bed right now. (laughs) I've used that story as an example of why emotion beats reason every time. You know, emotion decides and reason justifies. And it's a perfectly decent example of that type of reasoning. I can also use one that I have used, which is, you know, the Syrian refugee crisis and how we only cared about it when we saw the little the picture of the little boy. They both do the same job. Some, you know One of them is more powerful. And in some scenarios, you might need that bigger one. But I think people get this idea that if I haven't always lived in a way that makes me the expert now, then I should be up on the stage. No, just find a funny story that happened when you went to McDonald's, and if you can make that work with the content, then well, that's
1: fine. Yeah, I find I can relate most to someone when they're they're saying things that seemingly make it make it sort of discredit them, like the people that say, you know, there's 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 the you know, oh, I sold uh, candy at school and now I'm a really good entrepreneur, or the people that are like, for the first twenty years of my life, I did absolutely nothing and ate McDonald's every day. And then randomly I thought I'd do this and that. And that's more like relatable, isn't it, than the traditional You're talking about Lloyd again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is literally Lloyd's story, that yeah.
0: <laughs> um All right. So one one final thing I wanted to ask you about the your approach to ed work and telling stories for clients. And and this is something I I honestly have no idea what the answer is. Now, I watched the the Whole Foods commercial. So what you have in your website, I'm assuming, is a whole bunch of pieces one next to each other. You know, it's not not a five-minute commercial. What I found really interesting there is it's obviously a recurring story. So you have the same sort of three or four, you know, has the blonde woman, which is sort of the spokesperson. There is the weird secretary that you push off a plane, I think, Janet. Great name for a secretary. Yeah. The supposedly good-looking bloke that wants to blow up stuff and whatever. And this is my question. How do you build in a story that only really works to its full full extent once you watch the previous stuff how confident do you have to be that people will have watched them so that you can build on that story? I, I don't know if which connects to what, but you know, there's one where the woman gets pushed off the airplane, and then the next one,
1: they're on the beach and they just, just on the water, covered in plastic. So, so good question. And the way we kind of combat that is the the only video we've shown is the case study, is the one full length five minute video showing the whole there's actually another 50 plus pieces of creative we shot and edited separately that stand alone. They overcome objections. They communicate benefits of buying from the thing that they communicate offers and things. So I guess we've made it so that we produce this full length video that we know that the people that watch that full video are the real fans that are fully into this And we know that we can remarket to those and make them spend more money. However, we also know that 80% of people, 90% of people won't do that. They'll watch a small part of it. They'll get a bit of the vibe. And then we can remarket them with the other 50 pieces of creative that are most relevant to them, depending on what they've seen. So it's a good question. We don't rely on people seeing that full story to get everything else. We combat that by creating loads of other pieces of creative that work standalone to to deliver the same result if that makes sense so what
0: you're not doing which perhaps i misunderstood that but what i thought you perhaps were doing is to say okay so this is really four or five different things we can cut them up as five individual ones you play one you know you circulate one of them and then a few weeks later you start putting out the second one because perhaps you know i don't watch much tv these days and don't spend that much time on, on social media. So I was thinking of TV commercials because that used to be done occasionally over the years with popular brands. They had the same characters and they just kept coming back.
1: So is that not how you guys use that? So good. we do both. That, that video you saw, there are eight versions of that video. Shorter versions, square versions, versions with elements cut out that still make sense. So we do... In a way, and we also, for any marketing content, have some segments of that main video that, that communicate clear benefits or overcome objections as standalone pieces. But you're exactly right. It, ha- it has to be thought out before you shoot anything to know that segment that that would make sense standalone, we can use as a separate clip. But this bit, you need to get the full story to to be able to cut that. So we won't cut that as a separate clip. So it's a, it's a case of cutting the uh, the relevant segments of the full video out to use as, for other creative, but also having 50 other pieces of creative that work standalone. So it was both.
0: It's it's interesting to try and apply that to to speaking to, to the stage, because I've I know speakers that have like a very very long story that they can cut in smaller pieces. So maybe you know you have your journey story and your journey story has that initial piece with the failed interview, and then the bit that comes right next to it, you're not going to tell at that point. You're going to tell. 10 minutes into the speech and then it's just another two minute bit but it builds on the previous one so when you're getting to the end of that you're just getting all all those callbacks and if something was funny earlier it should be a lot funnier by the end but there's no way you would have told that as a you know 5 minute story
1: yeah some of the best speakers i've seen have done that in a very clever way, what you've just said, and I guess it's because you're an expert in this. It's like telling telling one story that's broken up across the whole talk, but you're then you're bringing back and like, remember when that I said that, and it ties it all together. Yeah, it's all making sense now.
0: <laughs> it's like with the vermin mention, which is I probably should have explained this earlier. At some point, you guys told a story about bad, uh, worst business advice you ever gotten, and your dad said that people shouldn't eat at their desks because vermin. <laughs> And you know, so I watched that, that comes up a few times in the episode, but you've done it in different episodes. So someone who's listened to that, perhaps for the next year, why do you keep saying vermin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Over and over
1: again. And it's it's building on that previous story. It's done unknowingly though. I think what you're the reason you're really good at this, you're an expert, is because you would do this proactively and plan this out like us that's just randomly happened without planning it. So this is why I'm thinking, wow, I need to be doing this in a more constructive way from now. But it's
0: it's done naturally, we, we could say, because it works, because because it's such a good story with such a good sort of punchline that it just keeps coming back to you over and over. It's like when I I, I grew up watching a lot of Seinfeld and Friends, and now I'm, I've weaned myself off of doing that. But uh, But for many years... My friends and I would just say lines from the shows. We still say stuff like "Serenity now" um, or or, you know "Pivot now." This last year, more than anyone, "Pivot." Um, (laughs)
1: Yeah, classic Friends episode.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, we were on a break. You just say stuff like that because it just stuck in your brain so much, and it's now it keeps getting it gets funnier and funnier and funnier the more you do it. But yeah it's, i think it, you put a bit more thought into it when this is pretty much all you're doing because this is not all you do. speaking is a part of what you do is not all you do but yeah but that, that's one of those things that if you can build on those initial stories then the whole thing just feels rounder
1: also if you can finish with something you had at the beginning that always works really well feels like a nicer ending doesn't it then you're like oh wow it's all come together for this one point yeah and a lot of movies
0: and and books do this all the time so books
1: will typically
0: open with a scene that is if not the end close to the end and then they'll take you back to where they were Uh, there's the breaking bad um first episode starts with him half naked with a gun in the desert and then that only happens at the very end of that first season but then you go all right and i can see how we got there yeah then this has been fantastic mate uh, now, we talked about LinkedIn plenty of, so people know to look for you there. Uh, but if if you want them to find out more of your real work and not just uh, the wigs, uh, where should they go? <laughs> yeah.
1: Cool. Our website, knowltonmarketing.co.uk, is where all our case studies and loads more info, showreel and stuff is there. So.
0: Oh, and I must say that I think it's a, a big shame that you didn't stick with your probably fictitious first name for the company Dan here's Dan calling from Dan
1: <laughs> yeah Lloyd didn't want to go with that so we went with Nolton <laughs> yes I, I can see
0: how 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 the other Nolton who's not called Dan might not appreciate working
1: for Dan at Dan <laughs> yeah I think there's a bit too many Dans <laughs> This has been really good, by the way. You, this has probably been one of my most fun podcasts because of the amount of prep you've done for this. I'm learning from your, what you've done in this podcast for us when we do interviews. So this has been a lesson for me. So thanks.
0: Well, then perhaps I, I, should, I should spend some time uh, some other day picking your brain on how to, you know, the marketing side of it because you guys have done a, a much better job at the marketing part there. I am, I completely suck. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's been great. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. And until next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. It's very easy. You open the app and find this show. Then scroll down a little and when you see the stars, tap. I'd really appreciate it. And it does help other people find us. And if you'd like to get in touch or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn or visit my website storypowers.com